Welcome to the panel discussion, The Journey to Delivering the Mission in the Cloud, sponsored by Oracle. Here's today's moderator, Tom Temin. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guests today are David Knox, the Group Vice President and Chief Technology Officer at Oracle Public Sector. Jonathan Fibus is the Deputy Director for the Governance and Enterprise Management Services Division at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Sukinder Singh is the Chief Technology Officer at the U.S. Agency for International Development. Gulam Shakir is Systems Architect at the National Archives and Records Administration. And Eddie Tejeda is Director of Cloud.gov at the General Services Administration. And great to have you all here. And I want to start, we'll start with you, Jonathan. The policy of Cloud First has morphed into Cloud Smart. Mm -hmm. which presupposes that cloud is here to stay and it's something that agencies are developing into. Yet there's still a long way to go in terms of numbers of agencies, workloads and so forth, data center consolidation. So given the cloud smart era that we're in, what, how do you begin the journey to the cloud or how do you continue it in, in a new policy era and some more maturity in the government about cloud? So it's always a good time to move to the cloud and it's never a good time to move to the cloud. You just have to pick a workload that makes sense, something that is visible, something that will not cause major disruptions to the mission if it does fail, and be prepared to do some rework. Um, there are a lot of opportunities out there. There are a lot of software as a service offerings out there now, which makes it a little bit easier to get your toes dipped into the pool, or the cloud as it were. Um, and you don't need to figure out how you're going to build your systems, how you're going to move all of your data, and you don't want to do it two months before you run out of hardware support on what's in your data center and expect everything to be up and running perfectly. And when choosing that workload or that next workload, is that something the IT department alone determines or do you bring in the program perhaps or bring in some other elements of the agency that will be affected by it even if they don't have the final say. It is always good to have some buy-in from your customer before you start moving to cloud. They need to understand that there are going to be changes to the way their application looks, potentially to the way it works, but they also need to be aware of the benefits. Um, so yes, having the customer buy-in is, is a good first step. Okay, Suk Vinder. Uh, we started our cloud journey uh, back in 2011. Uh, so we started with actually moving our data center uh, from our headquarters in DC to uh, Miami, uh, the Terramark. Um, and it all started because we had a whole bunch of issues uh, in, in DC data center, you know, space being obviously uh, one uh, issue, uh, utilities, power, you name it, you know, every, I think every other week we used to have some sort of a problem. Uh, at the same time, uh, OMB also came out with a 25-point plan, and one was, you know, uh, move to the cloud uh, push. So uh, we made a decision to uh, move to uh, Google Apps, uh, and that was very successful. Both of those uh, initiatives, projects, you know, they really kicked off our, our cloud journey, you know, uh, 10 years, almost 10 years ago. And so where does it look like today? I mean, if you wanted to move now, what, what are your selection criteria and what So are we actually just moved uh, the second phase, I would call it, you know, our data center. We did it in uh, 2017. So now we have our data center in AWS. Uh, so compared to 2009 or 10, and now we have a whole bunch of more options, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so we did our analysis and, uh, you know, uh, made the decision. So uh, that's how we ended up, uh, you know, in AWS. Uh, I would say 98, percent or even more of our services are in the cloud uh, because we have only one data center and that being in the cloud is a big deal and we have a bulk of our application development on there. Uh, we have 50 plus uh, SaaS software as a service offerings that we use. So we are very heavy users of cloud, I would say. Okay, and Gulam, of course, NARA has mm -hmm. so much of everybody else's records, plus all the things that the agency does natively. What does your cloud journey look like? Uh, I would say we are a uh, little bit mature. Uh, we have been in the cloud since 2014. And right now, after uh, migrating about uh, quite a few applications into the cloud, right now, we are focused on consolidating all the things that we have learned right now in putting together an enterprise cloud strategy and enterprise governance and um, looking to do some cost uh, estimation and forecasting, how can we accommodate our future growth in the cloud? 
And the second part is, I would say is, I mean, to be where we are, it would not have been possible with the partnership, with the support uh, from our TAM team, and, and also the support from the vendor, because there are, given the number of services that we have in the cloud over, nobody can be an expert at one thing. So we always get a deep dive into, you know, what would be the right way to move on these solutions and what's the next set of offerings that you should be looking or planning to. So a lot of it has reduced our operational overhead and lets us focus on our mission. Now, finally, we are at a point we are seriously thinking about, you know, the best parts of the cloud, which is uh, looking to do some kind of a pilot in AI, machine learning, or, or robotic process automation, which is would not have been possible, you know, considering that if we had to spend like a capital expend expenditure to do all of that. So that is, so we are at the end where, you know, we are trying to leverage some exciting parts of the cloud. So. Got it, okay. And Eddie, of course, GSA has been at the center of, you're always deputized for policy carryout by a couple of administrations now. And uh, what's the status of cloud migration and what do agencies, what are their concerns? I think one of the key things to uh, understand is that, uh, well, first of all, cloud.gov is a platform as a service, which means that um, this is a system that tries to simplify as much of the cloud as possible for developers so that teams are able to focus on the high value aspects of their applications. So I think part of the important thing to realize is that there is no one destination uh, for cloud. There's going to be a, a range of, of options depending on the needs of your team. So whether you want a lot of control and you want you know, raw infrastructure as a service and, 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 and a lot of access to the internals of, of your applications, that is one strategy that makes sense for some teams. But I think it's also important to realize that there are going to be a lot of other teams that just need um, focus on the application themselves and, and abstract out a lot of that security and compliance. And that's where cloud.gov, I think, really shines and where we have been able to partner with agencies across the federal government to provide them that level of, of service. So is cl uh, cloud.gov brokering for people or? I mean, exactly, yes. So uh, cloud.gov is, um, I, I, I think of it as a very thin security and compliance layer that you can then access a range of different services. So uh, it, we simplify a lot of the procurement, a lot of the um, security compliance um, by accessing it via cloud.gov. Ultimately, I, I would, uh, the, the goal is for us to be able to broker services from a, from a range of cloud providers, but right now we're still working on, on just refining the process of how people access these different services. Got it. Okay, and David Knox, what, uh, what are your customers, the multiple people you call on telling you? What are the pain points and mm -hmm. how are they getting started? Well, you know, it is a lot about finding those uh, proper workloads and focusing on the mission and not on the IT. Uh, that's really what they want to do. Uh, the, the smaller they are, the more they really want to get into the cloud and not have to worry about data centers. Uh, but it is a lot about agility. It's a lot about automation and learning to take advantage of those things. Those are the real enablers. Uh, but it has been a learning experience for sure as people in many ways rethink what they want to move, what are the interdependencies between systems. And, and I think that's, that's the complications that are often there. They start to see latencies, they start to wonder, you know, the experience is almost an all or nothing kind of approach and you just can't go from nothing to everything instantaneously. Sure, and in fact, many applications that depend on, say, data gathering, you hear more and more people saying, well, yes, the cloud is definitely part of the data strategy here and part of the application strategy, but we also need edge computing mm -hmm. because it's just not practical for all data gathered anywhere to head to the cloud process and then head back down. It's expensive and it can, as David said, can introduce latencies. So is there thinking, would you say, that uh, more about the balance of computing resources where it used to be data center versus, I don't know, terminals or something, Mm -hmm. Now it's edge computing, which might be mobile, versus cloud. Jonathan? That's definitely a thought, because the data charges are one of those unexpected features of cloud service. And figuring out where the data flow is, how much of it's going up, where is it coming back down, and how am I processing it, uh, is definitely something that goes into it. So we have actually looked at some of our 
um, modeling programs, they became very good workload to move up to the cloud because the data starts there, it stays there. When the model is done, it ends there. We don't need to pull it back down. For other things where we know the data is going to end up in other places, we look at an alternate for processing. And sometimes that's the cloud, sometimes it's in our data center, sometimes it's a shared service. So you really need to almost have an architectural view. Yes, you do. Sukhvinder, comment? Uh, for us, latency is a key factor that you know we account for whatever we do because half of our users are overseas and they are not in very sophisticated you know, um, areas where infrastructure is you know, pretty mature. Uh, so for us, I think makes uh, sense to address this problem both on the data center as well as on the edge side. So from the data center, uh, what we try to do most, mostly, you know, uh, our co-location where we have all the interconnects, so if we can have the direct connectivity to these uh, cloud providers, uh, that really cuts down the latency. Then we can just route traffic from our users, at least in the corners, you know, uh, uh, to directly to these uh, service providers. Even from, from the overseas, when the traffic comes to our co-location, it directly goes to the service providers. On the edge computing, I think that all goes back to how well you can protect that data you know, on the edge devices. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, that becomes pretty tricky you know, being overseas because there are a lot of other factors. You know, we can't give certain things, certain devices, certain data to certain people. Uh, so that's the area I think we are really uh, focusing more now. Uh, just you know, securing our applications and whether it takes you know VPN connection back to uh, in some cases and just push more more and more data actually to the edge you know uh, where it can be done. Sure, go on. Yeah, uh, in terms of uh, the data movement in the cloud, I think the cloud costs are, are some of the most uh, challenging aspect to it because there is a, a one tier of pricing if you're on the edge of your cloud and then there's the other uh, service. So it's it's pretty hard to navigate around that, um, about the different pricing schemes there. So what we have done from the start is try to bring the computing to the data rather than transfer the data in and out. Mm -hmm. So that's why you avoid uh, large scale data transfer. And for anything that would require a, uh, uh, a public access, like you know, we have to uh, give a public access to our images or videos or, or paper rec or electronic records. We are looking into leveraging uh, CDNs, um, and and that is a uh, basically a vertical capability that most of the cloud providers uh, offer now. So we are taking to look into leverage that. That's kind of a distributed situation where the. The processing is localized. Yeah, the so the the uh, data processing, like you bring the computing to the data, so to avoid the data moment, and for anything that needs to go out, leverage uh, uh, content delivery networks there to sure okay. to avoid the latency. Yeah, so it sounds like we've hit on something people are are really pondering here, Eddie. Well, I, and actually, I'll just clarify. We've sort of hopped around here a little bit. Is this a question about? Um, yeah, edge cost. versus cloud and how you architect uh, that and how you balance the costs. I think this, this is something that is um, not as relevant for our applications. Many of our applications are uh, in, natively on the cloud. So uh, because we are generally working with projects that are just developing, that are in the early stages of development, I think there's always a, a, a sense that um, an understanding that the application is going to be online. So this is not something that cloud.gov specifically is focused on, but I'm very curious to hear more of uh, the panelists' ideas on but this. There's definitely a bifurcation between legacy workloads and how they're architected and brand new stuff developed in the cloud, which we can go into a little bit more after we take a break, but that's what I think you're driving at. Absolutely, yes. Um, I think that that's something that you always have to take into account uh, for specific uh, situations, uh, but I, I, again, I don't know if that is necessarily a situation that uh, cloud.gov is particularly focused on right now. We are generally focused on de delivering services that are public mm -hmm. facing that are not necessarily always connected to the back end. Sure, David, comment on that whole question because yes, yes, you know, as an application provider also. Yeah, you know, one of the, the critical factors we haven't talked about it yet is uh, security. And people are very concerned about where their uh, directories are, what type of information, and a lot of what we're starting to see isn't just edge computing and, and put stuff in the data center, but it's how do I protect 
you know, the authentication, the auditing, uh, and then how do I marry that with what the cloud service provider is doing? Uh, so that's starting to see a pretty consistent pattern with people keeping on site those parts of their architecture and then pushing out the other stuff. And when it's on site and you're consolidating data centers, what are the implications for the data center then? Yeah, well, you know, they're, they're actually pretty used to, I think it's a comfort level as well, right? They, they know where it is, they know the people, uh, they, can, they can come in and hug their server if they want to, make sure it's okay if it's under duress. Uh, so there, there's still a lot of concern about what would happen if we make the decision to move that and something bad happens there, was that the right decision? Okay, well, lots of details we're going to follow up on, but right now we're going to take a break. My guests today are David Knox. He's the Group Vice President and Chief Technology Officer at Oracle Public Sector. Jonathan Fibus is the D Deputy Director for the Governance and Enterprise Management Services Division at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Sukhvinder Singh is the Chief Technology Officer at U.S. Agency for International Development. Gulam Shakir is Systems Architect at the National Archives and Records Administration, and Eddie Tejeda is Director of Cloud.gov at the GSA. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin, on this panel discussion, The Journey to Delivering the Mission in the Cloud, sponsored by Oracle, here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Moving your agency's enterprise workloads to the cloud doesn't happen with the flip of a switch. It's a journey with multiple paths and services deployed over time. Today, Oracle offers a completely new cloud. The Oracle Enterprise Gen 2 Cloud provides service level agreements that allow federal agencies to achieve predictable cost and performance. And a cloud without guarantees is simply too risky. Learn more about Oracle's Gen 2 Cloud and its first FedRAMP authorized solutions at oracle.com slash govcloud. Welcome back to our panel discussion, The Journey to Delivering the Mission in the Cloud, sponsored by Oracle, here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. My guests today are David Knox, the Group Vice President and Chief Technology Officer at Oracle Public Sector. Jonathan Fibus is the Deputy Director for the Governance and Enterprise Management Services Division at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Sukhvinder Singh is the Chief Technology Officer at U.S. Agency for International Development. Ulam Shakir, Systems and Architect at Systems Architect at the National Archives and Records Administration and Eddie Tejeda, Director of Cloud.gov at the General Services Administration. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And I want to talk about something we left off with in the prior segment, and that is the development of new applications. And there's a couple of pieces to this. One, there is the deployment of digital services, a big part of the President's management agenda, now for two administrations, really. And then there's also simply re-architecting and updating legacy applications that will seem to have unlimited durability for federal agencies. So, and a lot of that's all happening, or at least hoped to happen in the cloud. So, David, why don't we start with you? What do agencies, what's their approach? What's the best practices approach when saying we've got to develop this digital service or we've got to redo this legacy app and we know cloud is part of it? Yeah, you know, replatforming is difficult to do. So if you're running big, complex, uh, human capital management, planning and budgeting systems. Those things are, what we're seeing is people basically a lift and shift. Uh, they'll keep what they have, they'll put it into the cloud, and it'll essentially be everything they're used to, it's just running somewhere else. Um, and, and from an application development perspective, that's where you're really starting to see the agility come in in the cloud services areas, uh, blockchain services, AI and ML services, all with their APIs that people can take advantage of it. And the interesting thing about cloud is that, you know, the, it's, it's so professionally run, right? With the patching and the continuous monitoring and, and, and all of the things that you're supposed to do from a hygiene perspective, an IT hygiene perspective, that you really get an improvement and, and going just to take advantages of those. And, and those are just basic IT services. And Eddie, the deployment of digital services mm -hmm. implies you have to use agency, uh, excuse me, you have to use data. And some of that agency data is legacy, mm -hmm. connected with maybe older applications, and some of it is from curated sources. And so that's why agencies have APIs. Is that part of the whole cloud picture when people go to digital services and new applications? Absolutely, I think that that's a, a really important part of modernizing uh, these new services. I think uh, platform as a service, as I described earlier, 
provides a lot of structure for developing new applications. Uh, and as part of that structure, it requires you to split up different components into individual services that are not uh, that are not fully dependent on each other. And I think what Cloud.gov allows people to do is to get started very quickly with a, a series of, of services, starter services that, that they can connect to. And then as uh, the, the needs change, as the industry changes, as, as, the, as uh, different technologies emerge, you can start swapping out these different services. I think that's one of the big advantages that you have with uh, when you structure your application with a microservices architecture, which mm -hmm. Cloud.gov um, strictly enforces that you do. I think that there's a lot of other scenarios where you would, um, you would want to just uh, lift, uh, uh, lift and ship your application. Uh, and, and there are some advantages to moving to the cloud using that approach, but ultimately breaking apart the application to in, into its smaller components and then managing, managing them independently, I think is a much more durable long-term strategy. And if someone is developing something new and they're using all of these new technologies in the cloud, how does the legacy data that might be structured totally differently, but yet is needed for that eventual service, how does that sort of mesh with the whole microservices approach and the whole new languages of development approach? I think that there are a lot of different options for, um, for agencies. Having an API in front of that data is the most obvious approach that you can take so that your application can consume these services no matter where they are. I think that's a very uh, common approach. Um, I think providing snapshots, continuous snapshots, I think whatever it takes, whatever, depending on the, the needs of the agency, whatever it takes for you to be able to get the data out um, into a format that an application can consume, um, I think uh, all those pr approaches are valid. I think it's very specific, that, that could be very specific to the needs of the application and the needs of, uh, of, um, of the users. So Gulam, does that mean you would want, in that case, the, agent, the, the data to be in the cloud in the first place, both the legacy and whatever new data, and the API there, and that way you're not going up and down and up and down from the cloud, but everything is happening there and only the results are returned? Yes, something like, uh, yeah, that I'm is simplifying, the right, but. Yeah, that is the right thing. Uh, one thing I, I would add is like, you know, as, as you're starting new development, I mean, there there is a paradigm shift, as Eddie uh, mentioned that uh, we have to Treat, stop treating uh, cloud as a data center. Like we should stop thinking about treating as VMs or storage. Rather, move to a next abstraction layer, platform as a service. Use managed services, database as a service, or a search as a service, and then move into having instances move to a serverless model. And then, um, and then where if you have a serverless, it's very easy to wrap around an API around it. And uh, so. Essentially, you know, you need to take advantage and then uh, take all of these paradigm shift and take advantage of moving towards a platform as a service or a software as a service. Model. And just dive a little bit deeper into serverless because somewhere there's a server running ultimately. Yes. So what is that? The serverless means that uh, that you are basically abstracting a single function that you're saying, okay, here's my signature mm -hmm. of a function that I want to execute as some kind of a business use case, abstract that, and then upload that into a serverless infrastructure, and then as the traffic increases, the serverless will scale and Got automatically it. deploy many instances of that micro-application so that it can service your business use. Got it, so that's why you were saying this gets beyond just virtualization. So that's kind of the next step in computing exactly. setup. Yeah. So Kvinder, you agree? I would actually, and I think a lot of uh, things that other panelists mentioned, I think they all apply to what we have been doing lately. Um, like strategically, uh, we try to stay away from developing applications period, if we can, just go for SaaS kind of uh, you know, offering. Uh, but we did actually adopt uh, platform as a service for our uh, some key application development lately. And, uh, the major architectural component that we always uh, abide by, you know, uh, making decisions or designing uh, is the serverless APIs, microservices. Um, you know, so they are really, really key uh, for everything we do. And uh, I think we have been pretty successful in all the three different, you know, categories, you know, to produce actually production grade, you know, deployed applications at this point. Um, 
Uh, and I think serverless is really the, the next kind of future and containerization is also another thing mm -hmm. that, that we have you know, used uh, uh, because there are different use cases. Uh, so again, I think this was an opportunity for us to just try you know, uh, because all these are new kind of uh, paradigms or new way of, of doing things you know, application development wise. So I think uh, that's the right way to I think approach, you know, not to just tie your application to a server, even right. if it's a virtual. <laughs> Got it. You know, so, if, if that's possible. And the implication there, I would think, is you need different skill sets than it, might have been operating your data centers. Yes, exactly. I'm like, uh, if you are going uh, with the serverless, I'm like, really, you are focused on the code, the business you know, mm -hmm. logic that you want to build, not the VMs running, the orchestration you need, uh, the, mm -hmm. you know, the backup is done. You, you're not worried about all that. You know, it's all taken care of for you as long as you, know, you understand the, the pricing structure, you know, what you're paying for. Uh, I think it'll be fine. So then it becomes, David, incumbent on the cloud provider, as you say, to be professionally run and just never stop. Correct. So that all of the other good things can happen, sure. And Jonathan, I mean, the NRC has data on regulated facilities and some of that data has a really long statutory life. Yes, it does, which is one of the reasons why we're very excited about moving our things digitally to NARA. Um, and by 2020. Let Gulam worry about it. Yes. <laughs> but in the meantime, we still need to use that data, and developing heavy clients is no longer, as we've heard, the way to go. Um, so, looking at how we automate our workflows, how do we automate business processes, how do we get the APIs to talk to the data, to talk between data sets, is very important. And we've been looking at a lot of no-code, low-code uh, environments for mm -hmm. facilitating that. Um, we still have to work for the data, we still have to figure out how it's formatted, but we've become very proficient at focusing on our process rather than then having to dig into what is this server doing, why is this server here rather than there, and where am I hosting my data sets. So the low-code, no-code process then can preserve your business logic that's but you correct. don't have to start all this factoring stuff and hi hiring coders and all to, to start over again in some cases. So in some cases we do, but again, it relies heavily on the mission side of the house to be there as part of the development process to make sure we're translating their logic the way they need it translated and we've got the data that they need to work with. Yeah, so when you drop the marble in here, it always has to always come out there, no exactly. matter what's going on inside the, uh, the maze, got it. And uh, we should also talk about cybersecurity in this context because this totally different architectural approach as we go to serverless and microservices, containerization, and away from virtual machines, much less rows of physical machines, then it seems like cybersecurity has to have a different look in the cloud because you know, where is the perimeter of a network operating in that fashion? David? Yeah, well, again, it's, it's so well done, professionally managed. Uh, many of our customers cite security as the number one reason why they want to go to the cloud. We think of the CapEx to OpEx discussion from early on, but mm -hmm. what they realize is the benefits that they get from the, the continuous monitoring, the, the patching, uh, the, the ability to very rapidly detect and respond and remediate in the cloud far exceeds what many organizations really want to do themselves. They, mm -hmm. They're focused on their mission, and now you're, you're talking about a lot of complexity. Um, also the skilled workers, the cloud service providers tend to have very high skilled workers that you may not be able to find everywhere, mm -hmm. sure. especially in the cybersecurity realm. So they're able to get the, the top of the crop put them in there, have them look after everything, and then we can focus. We can go back and focus on a mission and not focus on the IT. Yeah, Eddie, how does, uh, how does cybersecurity play into that great big sandbox you operate at cloud.gov? Yeah, I think that this is probably one of the most important things that we provide is, uh, a lot, like I said earlier, a lot of that security and compliance is baked into the platform so that teams are able to focus on the higher value services that they're building on top of cloud.gov. Uh, you know, if you are following, if you are within the um, the framework of the platform as a service, a lot of the patches, the security issues, a lot of these things are automatically managed for you. You don't ever have to worry about this. If you want the level of control where you want to manage these things yourself, 
have at it. You can jump into that and, and take ownership of that. But that is often not where there's real value and where the skills of the team necessarily want to, uh, need, should be applied in many cases. You know, the, the maintenance and the management of of the operating systems is something that is is automated for mm -hmm. and should be automated as much as possible for the users. And as part of Cloud.gov security model, um, we're able to provide a lot of these controls over to the users to be able to get an ATO and launch to production even quicker. We, they can say, we are not responsible for this. The platform is taking care of these concerns for us, and they're able to launch to production even faster because they inherit a lot of our security and controls. Yeah, you touched on a really important point that we hear from so many federal practitioners, and that is the difficulty or the lack of confidence in getting that ATO, that authority to operate the system that you've so carefully developed in cloud.gov or, or in that type of environment. And so, how does that play? And, I, and the other piece of this is CDM, continuous monitoring and continuous diagnostics and mitigation. Those still are policy and those still have to happen. Uh, Sukhvinder, how does that work in, in USAID and all those pieces. So I, I think the security in the cloud, it depends You know what type of a cloud you're using. That goes back to the security controls and the responsibility, right? So if you are using a SaaS, they're taking care of pretty much everything. All you really need to know, your data is secure, you know, at rest and transit. You know, that's true for every other type of cloud too. But as you move up the stack, you know, to platform and infrastructure, then you have more and more responsibilities from security point of view. You need to make sure you're patching, you're monitoring, mm -hmm. and you're doing all the other stuff that's required, you know, by FedRAMP or CDM. So FedRAMP certainly helped, you know, because it gives you the, the baseline. Uh, but as you as you just <laughs> mentioned, getting ATO is really the, the real deal, right? And it takes uh, a little bit of effort, you know, and I think if the controls and the security is baked in from the start, you understand what type of cloud you're working with, what are the boundaries, the paradigm, you know, that the infrastructure and the architecture are using, I think you'll be more successful and you'll get, you know, timely uh, results, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I think, uh, I, I, I would agree with um, David, uh, you know, 100% that the, the security, physical security for sure, what we can get out of, you know, the cloud providers, I don't think uh, individually, you know, agencies can, can afford or can do you know, at that mm -hmm. level. Uh, so uh, I think, I'm um, like, cloud, uh, as long as you understand, you know, your customer responsibility matrix, you know, what your part is, what the vendor part is, I think you'll be fine. And Gulam, of course, you are steward to so many agencies' records. I can remember when agencies wanted to print out email and send the printouts to NARA. Uh, you know, there's, when email was new and exotic, and no one understood that, you know, there's qualities in it that you can't get in a printout. But nowadays it's all electronic and coming in, so what are your thoughts on security for this kind of long-term, So uh, and there's a statutory piece there too. Yeah, so certainly NARA has a lot of different kind of assets that are, uh, some are high value and some are sensitive. So uh, for that reason, um, we have gone into the Gov Cloud. And the Gov Cloud mm -hmm. has all um, applications that are FedRAMP high certified, and we also have leveraged some security uh, controls that are natively available in the cloud, like uh, um, automatic key management, uh, and then uh, encryption in transit and encryption at rest. So we are taking all advantage of that. And, uh, and also, we, every time when we have an application that's moving to the cloud, we always have an ISSO as part of the pro uh, application migration. Uh, so that they can <clears throat> be in touch when, so that when the ATO comes along, all those security questions are already answered or taken care of. Uh, at this time, what we are doing is, since we are uh, have like you know experience in uh, moving so many applications to the cloud, we are trying to come up with an enterprise security architecture, so mm -hmm. that bring all the commonality between the various projects. What are the security challenges that we are seeing? try to uh, come up with a common security structure so that, so that we don't have to keep repeating mm -hmm. the same thing over and over again. All right, on that note, we're going to take a short break because I want to return to a couple more security questions, but we do need to take a break right now. My guests today are David Knox, the Group Vice President and Chief Technology Officer at Oracle Public Sector. Jonathan Fibus is the Deputy Director for the Governance and Enterprise Management Services Division at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. 
Sukhvinder Singh is the Chief Technology Officer at the U.S. Agency for International Development, and Gulam Shakir is Systems Architect at the National Archives and Records Administration, and Eddie Tejeda, Director of Cloud.gov at the General Services Administration. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin, on this panel discussion, The Journey to Delivering the Mission in the Cloud, sponsored by Oracle, here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Moving your agency's enterprise workloads to the cloud doesn't happen with the flip of a switch. It's a journey with multiple paths and services deployed over time. Today, Oracle offers a completely new cloud. The Oracle Enterprise Gen 2 Cloud provides service level agreements that allow federal agencies to achieve predictable cost and performance. And a cloud without guarantees is simply too risky. Learn more about Oracle's Gen 2 Cloud and its first FedRAMP authorized solutions at oracle.com slash govcloud. Welcome back to our panel discussion, The Journey to Delivering Mission in the Cloud, sponsored by Oracle, here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. My guests today are David Knox, the Group Vice President and Chief Technology Officer at Oracle Public Sector. Jonathan Fibus is the Deputy Director for the Governance and Enterprise Management Services Division at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Sukhvinder Singh is the Chief Technology Officer at U.S. Agency for International Development. Gulam Shakir is Systems Architect the National Archives and Records Administration, and Eddie Tejeda, Director of Cloud.gov at the General Services Administration, and I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And something David said earlier I want to pull on a little bit more, and that is the idea of which services, such as directory services for email and other, and uh, maybe parts of your seam even, should or stay in a data center, stay locally, which can move to the cloud. I understand people have arguments kind of both ways on that, and it's, a, it's almost a strategic decision. So uh, Sukhvinder, why don't you start? So what we have done at USAID uh, is kind of a hybrid or middle ground. Uh, so we have certainly consolidated a whole bunch of directory services from our missions overseas to US, so they don't have directory mm -hmm. services uh, overseas anymore. But at the end of the day, it is still in infrastructure as a cloud, which we manage, you know. Uh, but there are services out there, and I think that whole uh, uh, group of services is, is improving, you know. So there are services you can buy directly service as a service, you know. So you don't need to really have your own domain controllers and Active Directory, whatnot. I mean, you can just rely on this as a service, which we have not really gone mm -hmm. uh, towards at this point. But... I'm pretty sure we'll be exploring that in, in you know coming time. So then directories for you were a lift and shift, so to speak, yes. to the cloud. Yeah, to the cloud. So we consolidated, we shifted, you know, a few pieces around uh, to make it easier, you know, and obviously uh, bake in, you know, the disaster uh, recovery side of, of the things. So uh, that your way of working is still traditional. If someone joins the agency and they're registered and all their rights and permissions are entered by someone at USAID, yes. only it's happening in the cloud. Yes, uh, and there's another factor I think that kind of controls you know, how far you can go because as long as I think you are dealing with the Microsoft, uh, you know, nothing against Microsoft, but Microsoft or Windows, I'm like, you have more control and better control and I think ease of control if you stick with Active Directory or, or domain controllers, you know. If you are just Linux shop, let's just say, sure. and all you do is uh, just development, right? I mean, yeah, you can go with uh, Directory as a service. Nobody's stopping you from mm -hmm. Jonathan, what's your thinking there? We're also in a hybrid mode uh, because there are some things that we have that are cloud services that are not replicated to our local data center, and there are some things we want to maintain more control over by keeping it in our local data center. We have the ability to sign people in, to authenticate users, to change permissions on the fly in both environments, um, and we need to be able to do it quickly, and it replicates fairly quickly between what we have on site mm -hmm. and what's in the cloud. So it has yet to be an issue. So you have kind of a syncing function there. That's that correct. Works up, got it, okay. Uh, David, what do you see across government as people do that? Well, you'll probably not find many more opinionated people than the security folks inside the organization. Um, and and they, they really have gone through a lot of effort to figure out what's the best way to secure everything. And, and, and uh, if they cannot replicate that exactly in the cloud environment, for whatever reason, uh, they're, they're, they're gonna keep what they have. Um, mm -hmm. The other thing is, as we see, not every workload in the cloud 
the on-premise capability to do your authentication, to do your security, it, it's better because you have a lower latency. So I think a lot of it depends on how many systems you're running in the cloud and mm -hmm. how many are you running on-premise. Got it, so there's really no single answer there. Correct. Okay, Eddie, what, what do you find? Well, I think one of the key things that we have found is that, um, at least for the projects that we have worked on and the applications that have been developed, you know, compute and storage is the most important part of the application. The question is, how do you tack on additional services and how do they communicate uh, back into, um, in, into the, the primary application? And I think, again, this is, this is where having uh, consistent structures, cons predictable models, uh, microservices that know how to speak to each other is really important. One of the things that we have, um, that GSA is also working on, and, and you all might know about this, is login.gov. And that's something that, for mm -hmm. example, handles authentication and um, uh, for, for, for many projects. Uh, and, and thinking about how that connects to uh, cloud.gov, I think is something that ha has been done and we want to continue to think about integrating these services even further. Got it, okay. And then I wanted to go into the topic that also came up earlier that we didn't really explore fully, and that is the next wave of computing having to do with artificial intelligence and machine learning. And this would strike me as something ideally suited to the cloud because it's basically a development thing, and you need training data sets and you need testing data sets, two different types of data sets, or, and then it seems like an ideal thing to happen fully in the cloud. Gulab? Yeah, um, so the, the reason why uh, artificial intel intelligence and machine learning is uh, suited to the cloud is the fact that the, uh, the technology around the, that makes the machine learning possible, the GPUs, is moving at a very rapid pace. So, so it doesn't make sense to do a, you know, to develop something on your own on your data center because it's going to be obsolete in probably in a few years. So the cloud is a natural because you're able to leverage the latest GPUs that are coming out. And as you mentioned, your data is already there. So it's a matter of uh, basically doing some feature engineering and mm -hmm. trying to extract your, uh, your uh, learning set, your validation set and testing set. And then um, it's, it shouldn't be too hard to just to do a, some kind of a pilot on, uh, on mm -hmm. an, uh, particular uh, using an AIML technology there. And I guess maybe a related piece would be data visualization, which is graphics intensive and a lot of other compute intensive parts to that. Eddie, does that seem like a cloud? Is that what people are doing in places like cloud.gov? Uh, yeah, I, I, a lot. there are a lot of projects that have launched that um, make heavy use of uh, visualizations. I think um, another factor here are, is that it, what we're seeing at GSA is that there are a, a range of different services that have emerged that, beginning, that are beginning to mature um, that allow people to very quickly connect these different services, these different tools together, like the web design system, for example, which provides consistency in user experience across different um, uh, sites and applications. And I think that the, where I see uh, cloud.gov and the way that it fits into the, the broader ecosystem is that these are all, th there are a lot of different uh, tools and services that you can use uh, some of the guidelines, some of the recommendations that the JSA has, but you're, you're not necessarily locked into that. You also are, are open to connect to a range of different services from, from uh, a range of different providers as well. I think that that type of flexibility and that kind of modularity between when you develop applications is really, really important. Yeah, Sukhvinder, he said something that, that I think is key to cloud selection, and that is not all, every cloud is different. They all have totally different sets of services and styles, if you will. And uh, so how do you go about choosing a cloud? I mean, is, 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 that, is that the deciding factor? Is the services offered? It I'm is assuming actually, they're not yeah. going to charge I think you to death. one key factor from the connectivity point of view that we look at, uh, who are the cloud vendors can give us direct connectivity from our co-location. So I, we don't need to traverse through the internet. So mm -hmm. we can directly tap into Google's of the world, or Microsoft or AWS, you know, from our co-location. So that certainly is one. Another is, is that like a value-added network connection? It is actually, yes. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's called direct connect in some, you know, that's vendors. An old you know, that's old-fashioned word. But yeah, that's so direct connect right. or backhaul, you know, they call it, right? So they just connect you right there. So mm -hmm. all the pipes are coming there. You just need to find the right pipe and just connect it, mm -hmm. right? Um, 
so that certainly is is a big uh, factor. You know, not from latency, it also is from the, um, uh, I think, the performance point of view. We also look at it. Uh, second is the the data, you know, uh, putting data in the cloud is easy. Uh, there's no charge for it, mm -hmm. but when you take it out, there is a charge. I think that's another thing, you know, we need to look at, uh, uh, which is not usually the case um, with the SaaS, you know, uh, providers, but there are others, you know, there may be data charge, because when you use mm -hmm. the storage, uh, you know, uh, yes, they, they will really welcome, okay, bring whatever data you want to bring, but when it's time to take it out, then they start charging. Kind of like the Roach Motel. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I just want to touch touch a little bit on the AI, you know, and machine learning in the mm -hmm. cloud. I think without cloud, it would, in my view, it would have not been possible, you know, mm -hmm. at this scale and with the speed. Uh, the cost point, I don't think, you know, anybody can beat, you know, if you want to try AI in our data center, right, and time to market, and the whole ecosystem. Uh, I'm like, we can try anything, you know, if really you want to AI or machine learning point of view in any uh, of these bigger cloud vendors, you know, any given point. Uh, all you need to know where your data is or how you train the model, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you don't need to worry about, need, I need to buy machines, I need to install software on it, I need to find, I'm like, yeah, you need just the right people who understand your data and they know how to make use of these components. I think I mean, that's amazing. Sure, Jonathan, what are your differentiators and product selection Criteria. So again, it's what am I paying for that workload? What am I paying for the processing power? What am I paying for the software or the data upload and download charges? Um, because it's a wonderful thing to take a paper record, scan it in, and have the machine decide what fields are important and how to store them in our database. Mm -hmm. So it can look at several dozen pieces of paper and figure out how to process tens of thousands of pages of data. Mm -hmm. um, so we let the computer do what it does best. We figure out the time of day that makes the most sense to do it, depending on our mm -hmm. cloud vendors' uh, time-sharing charges. And uh, we let the machine learn and, and process, and we check mm -hmm. on it instead of having to look at each page individually. Sure. So if this is doing it at 2 a.m., you'll take 3 a.m. Well, that's right. Something like that, sure. Uh, David, wh what do customers ask about? What do you commonly encounter as what they worry about and what they are concerned with when competing and, and, and going for cloud selections? Well, yeah, yeah obviously it, it's cost and flexibility uh, in there. Uh, bare metal options now are becoming increasingly more popular. Uh, it gives them a, a, a level of isolation that enhances the security. And they're looking for predictable costs and predictable performance. It's, we're back to the sort of service level agreements um, and, and those you know, at the end of the day, if something happens in that cloud and you can't get, you, you can't get it to work because somebody else is being noisy neighbor, uh, all of a sudden, then you say, I would rather uh, get something dedicated. I would like to make a comment. Uh, Jonathan, I think, hit it very correctly when he was talking about AI. Um, I think it's the application of AI and ML, not, not us you know, pretending we're experimenting with something new, but take uh, chatbots as a perfect example mm -hmm. of, of an application that we just absolutely want that to be run by itself. We don't want people behind there. We want it to be getting smarter all the time. Mm -hmm. You look at your human capital management systems, have it recommend the best candidate for you. You look at your supply chain systems where it can recommend the best vendor with the best discount. And it's, it's those very practical applications of AI and ML, I think, that are really going to push it uh, to where it's just pervasive. It, and it just becomes, we'll probably not even be talking about it. It'll be like air conditioning. It just, it happens everywhere. And mm -hmm. that's, you just looking for the output. Got it, and uh, that brings to mind the idea of latency too, as you deploy applications. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are a series of content delivery networks that date back quite a number of years to make sure that data delivery is localized. Is that a cloud feature in the larger, in the major cloud providers? Absolutely, absolutely. That is uh, paramount. Um, when we're, we, I don't think we ever have a conversation when we're not talking about that and, and ensuring it's, it's encrypted um, and that you can't turn it off, right? You, there's no way to bypass it. Mm -hmm. um, configuration control is something that is, you know, it's one of those things that we haven't really gotten good at being able to do it. So what you're really looking for, you're looking for a cloud provider that'll help you set up a system that's configured properly. 
and you tell them, I need a disaster recovery, I need high availability, uh, I need scalability. Now, you tell me how to do this so that I don't mess it up. Sure, and Sukhvinder, you've got the worldwide, I mean, USAID by definition is not something where the activity happens here. That's correct. Except the budget requesting and so <laughs> forth. But beyond that, the activities are all over the world. And I, how do you deal with distribution issues, not just latency, but everything yeah, else? Yeah, I'm like, latency is, as I mentioned before, it's really the key factor. You know, all what we do from the architecture point of view. So the right interconnects or direct connects to the cloud providers in our data center or co-location is the key. I think the second piece that's going to really help us, hopefully, um, is the Stick 3.0, which is coming out. So, I trusted think internet connection, trusted internet right. connection version three, which is really going to uh, open, you know, the space. You know, not that everything needs to be backhauled to US. Uh, that's really what kills, you know. So, mm -hmm. if I have a perfectly tuned application, just flies, you know, in US, it's probably going to suck in Congo, you know. Let's just say, right because of the, the infrastructure. Uh, so that's really going to help because the use cases that we have uh, read you know, uh, at a high level, and I think we are very excited to be part of that pilot with DHS. Uh, so hopefully we'll find some localized tech approaches, architectures, you know, so we don't need to backhaul every piece of uh, information to US. You know? And that certainly is going to help with the um, uh, you know, the edge computing, a lot of other stuff, yeah. All right, well, we could probably pull on each one of those for the next hour, but unfortunately, we do need to close on that note, so I want to thank today's guests. They are David Knox, the Group Vice President and Chief Technology Officer at Oracle Public Sector. Jonathan Fibus is the Deputy Director for Government and Enterprise Management Services Division at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Sukhvinder Singh is the Chief Technology Officer at the U.S. Agency for International Development. Ulam Shakir, Systems Architect at the National Archives and Records Administration, and Eddie Tejeda, Director of Cloud.gov at the General Services Administration. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. You've been listening to Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Oracle. Thank you for listening to the panel discussion, The Journey to Delivering the Mission in the Cloud, sponsored by Oracle on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network.